0: Celebrating 10 years of podcasting and online ministry, you are listening to the Bellator Christi Podcast, where we take Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Now join your hosts, Dr. Brian Chilton and Curtis Evolo. Taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of classic apologetics while taking Christian truth into the arena of ideas. Uh, this is the Bellator Christie podcast coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, and Ronin, Montana. This is yours truly, Brian Chilton, Curtis Evelo with us today. And so we're just so happy and uh, honored to be able to be with you. Uh, this is a podcast that just didn't seem to want to be recorded. <laughs> Uh, we we have had a rough start to uh, 2023. Uh, I hope and pray that the rest of the year goes better than the way it started. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I came down with a really bad cold. Um, every, you know, I, I had a bad headache. It was a really bad headache, but other than that, I had a cold and and was tested. And lo and behold, even though I have avoided it for. 20, you know, when it started to 2022 20, years, <laughs> uh, I was uh, for the first time mm. since it's uh, made public news, I was diagnosed with COVID 19. Thankfully got over that. But Thursday night that we were supposed to have the podcast, a couple it was last week, I think, yeah. um, had a split, I had a splitting headache. I mean, it was awful and I couldn't even hardly think straight. So, uh, anyhow, I called Curtis or uh, texted Curtis as Curtis uh you might you know, we we need to postpone this uh episode, and so we postponed the episode of this week and then this week Wednesday night, my wife had a very bad um painful reaction to a hernia that she has thankfully it wasn't an emergency um, didn't, emergency surgery wasn't required, but you know she is gonna have to have surgery uh, here in a few weeks. So I do ask if you will, if you will remember my wife, but we were in the hospital. We were in the, we were in the emergency room for 13 hours. Yep. Eight in the lobby, uh, five back in the back. Now, once we were back there, we received excellent care. The nurse practitioner was fantastic. The nurse that was with her was fantastic. But folks, I want to tell you, if you have anything wrong, if you suspect anything wrong, go get it checked out early because this is one thing i've learned because um it's taken 3 months from a wife to get with a with a doctor to to even see what's going on so um we you know we know she's had this issue for a while but uh uh i, I just i just encourage people if you have something going on go get it checked as early as you can because mm-hmm. the way things are right now you may have to wait a while and so it's a shame it's gotten that way, but, uh, it's kind of the situation we find ourselves in. So, um, I do want to encourage you, if you have anything going on, get it checked out early, you know, to try to see what's going, going on and it'll benefit you in the end, I think. Yeah. But, uh, anyhow, that's a, that's another, another topic. And so again, we want to thank you for being with us. We did have to move last night's podcast to tonight on Friday night. So. The the wonderful news is, is, even though it was delayed twice, <laughs> we're here tonight. And yeah. So, <laughs> looking on the bright side, we're here tonight <laughs> and looking forward to uh, the podcast that we have set up today. So
1: I uh, hope you, everyone's doing well. Uh, Curtis, how are you doing, my brother? Good. I was just thinking as you were saying that, you know, um, something, uh, something an old cowboy shared with me a long time ago. He says, you know what a smart man does? Smart man learns from his mistakes. You know what a wise man does. A wise man learns from others and their mistakes. That's right.
0: (laughs) That is very true.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, you get a lot of that up here. There's a lot of people that offer up information.
0: (laughs) Classic Uh, down-to-earth wisdom. That's why we call Curtis our cowboy
1: apologist. (laughs) Oh, my goodness yeah so holy cow we've uh we've kind of put this one off or something's been delaying it um this is, is gonna be a good one this is uh, justification and redemption um we've been going through um some pretty um you could say matter of fact and pointed topics um in this in this uh soteriology um series and uh um I don't know, Brian, I think some of these, as we get into them, this is the finer drilling down, getting into the finer workings of what all that means and how it applies. And it's something that I think um, truly a, as as believers and as you move through uh, the time period of being a Christian and the time period of actually walking with God, these are the things that actually come out in the Bible and in the scriptures, as you're reading through, and um, we're just helping put legs to it and helping helping everybody be able to see it. So, absolutely. Um, why don't we go ahead and get into it? Let's start out with the first one. Let's clarify this. So, what is justification?
0: So, very simply put, the term justification. If you think of the word justify, uh, that's at the root of the word justification. So justification is used to describe a person's restoration to a state of forgiveness rather than being in a state of judgment. You know the idea is that you know God is holy that means he is perfect. He doesn't hold any flaws whatsoever. But, uh, humanity, we, we understand is in a state of sin. That means that we're in, in a state of rebellion, uh, left to our own devices, left, left to our own inclinations. We will choose to do things that go against the ways of God. And so, uh, when we talk about sin, which we're going to have a whole, we're going to have a whole theological series on, on sin itself called homartology. uh, which is the study of sin. And that'll come be coming up. Uh, that'll be one of the things we talk about in, um, in, um, in season seven. But, uh, as it stands, it, in a state of sin, you, you're in a state of, of judgment. It means God has to do something with sin. He either purifies it or he has to condemn it. Um, so to be justified means that you're made right in the eyes of God. It's, kind of a legal term, and we'll talk about the whole aspect. Uh, There's a term called forensic. Um, That's a legal term. Uh, So it's it's essentially being moved from a state of unforgiveness to a state of forgiveness from a state of judgment where God has to do something with that sin in, in a style of judgment to a state of purification, state of forgiveness uh, where a person is in a state of grace. So to be justified
1: essentially means to be made right in the eyes of God. Mm-hmm. Not to stir up any controversial topic, but… Oh,
0: we would never do that here on the Bellator <laughs> Christian but, Podcast. Would
1: but, <laughs> but what would be the reason that we would need to be justified? What
0: would need to be the reason to be justified?
1: Reason, yeah, need to be justified.
0: Well, it really is, is for us to have a place in heaven, you would, you would say, because to live and abide with God, you, you know, you can only live and abide with God if you're in a state of holiness, if you're a state of purity. Uh, if you think about the whole issue, uh, for instance, with, with Moses, and on Mount Sinai, you know, Moses had to be purified before he went up at the holy mountain to be with God, um, and in, in, in the state that he was at in, uh, excuse me. If you think also about, uh, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, when the high priest went into the Holy of Holies, the holiest place in the temple where the presence of God, the Shekinah glory was said to abide, uh, he had to go through a, a, uh, long stringent series of purification rituals to make himself pure. So, you know, in other words, we're talking about our eternal destiny here. We're talking about being forgiven. We're talking about having a right relationship with God, with through Christ. We're also talking about having a
1: place in heaven when we die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, how, how did we get there to a point that we needed justification? That started in the garden, and oh yeah, when- yeah, absolutely, yeah. And so that um, basically became the state of man, uh, and and therefore we look at that. So um, yeah. God gave us some some simple some simple uh, mirrors to look at who we are um, when He gave us the Ten Commandments, and so mm-hmm. those simple mirrors, um, I call them mirrors because they are. Um, a reflection okay so he says don't but we do <laughs> so what do we do about it so
0: yeah very true and the bible even says of itself that uh that the law of god is a mirror it reflects mm-hmm. as you said uh it, it lets us see us as we are and uh it lets us see us you know uh and the deficiencies we have in living holy Pure lives, uh, quite frankly It's just, left to our own devices We can't do it, I mean, especially if you see If you see the standards that Christ has In the Sermon on the Mount It's just impossible for us To live that way, and that's why we all need Forgiveness,
1: every one of us do Yeah, we all know we do And you know, our culture today Says, our our culture Is flip-flopped, so our culture today Says people are Naturally good, and some Do evil and, and the Bible tells us as a true reflector of who we are, it tells us that we were born in a sinful nature and that we need to be made right so we are good.
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that we're pure, we're justified. I mean, we're, we're made in the image of God, which means that we all have, we're all worthy. We're all, um, we all have value and substance, I guess is what I'm trying to say uh because we're we're made in God's image, but at the same time we're also born in that state of sinfulness, which means that you know we have the inclination when when given the option to choose, we're going to choose the evil. And and think about this, you know, especially yeah. when food mm-hmm. and, and supplies uh, grow low uh and diminish you know people can act like animals in you know, taking care of themselves and yeah. i mean we see that even now uh with with robberies and and assaults and things of this nature um people can act like animals on, on any given <laughs> on even given mm-hmm. notice but uh you know um but we yeah we're, 20, we're
1: 2020 whole... was was a definite proof text of that wasn't it absolutely yeah, most yeah. certainly. And even now, I mean, when we were in the emergency room, just to
0: give you an example, there was a guy in there uh, and I don't know who it is. I, if I did, I wouldn't say who it, who it was to protect the guilty. But uh, he had, he, he by his own admission, he told people he had COVID, wasn't wearing a mask and was coughing all over the place. And I'm thinking, OK, so you're just exposing everybody to this. I mean, all he had to do is pull up his mask at least or or go off in a corner or something, but he was right in the middle of everyone. It was almost like he was trying to infect everybody with it. It's just ridiculous. <laughs> so it just goes to show you that by people's own nature, they, they, um they look after number one, they don't necessarily seek and pursue the spiritual things. Uh And that's just the way that's kind of the, either we look at wars, we look at all the different things that's happened throughout history. We see, Examples of
1: that, yeah, and um, I think we covered it back when we, we did the uh, Sermon on the Mount in our Sermon on the Mount series. Um, everything that Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount goes against our natural human nature. Absolutely. <laughs> so, certainly. so to understand justification, uh, we need to understand righteousness. So, what is the biblical? description of righteousness then
0: we've got a few passages of scripture i'd like for us to take a look at and uh, all except for one is in the book of proverbs uh so uh book of proverbs uh so let me flip over there real quickly and i'll get the first one uh curtis if you will flip over to chapter 10 verse 11 i'll look at proverbs 20 uh 7 chapter 20 verse 7 um let me pull this up right quick. So to understand justification, uh, or, or in other words, we, as Curtis said, we need to understand righteousness. So what is the biblical description of righteousness? Righteousness speaks of those who live and behave in accordance with God's standards and his commands. The righteous are characterized by being those who have several characteristics, several traits. And the first is integrity. Uh, integrity is very important. In our time. So it's Proverbs 20 verse 7 says a righteous person acts with integrity. His children who come after him will be happy. Uh, they'll be happy because they know that they can trust their father, their mother. Uh, they can trust the individuals under their, under their watch care. Um, or, or, or who, who are caring for them, I should say. So integrity is a characteristic of righteous behavior. Also, we see that as it's interesting that Curtis mentioned this from the outset, talking about wisdom, the righteous person speaks with wisdom. And we see that in Proverbs 10 verse 11. Curtis, did you read that for us? Uh,
1: yeah. So the mouth of the righteous is the fountain of life, but the mouth of wicked conceals violence. So the fountain of life, it that that, that wisdom promotes
0: life. It, uh, um, so it's it's something that should be pursued. We also see that the wise person in Proverbs 12, 5, Curtis, I'll have you read, read 13, 5 also in Proverbs next. Uh, we see uh, the wise person is one whose thoughts are just. And 12, verse 5 of, of Proverbs says, the thoughts of the righteous are just, mm-hmm. but guidance from the wicked is deceitful. So here we see, uh, and this kind of goes along with the next passage of scripture in thirteen five. Which speaks to the righteous person promotes truth, mm-hmm. but we see that the just person, the righteous person is thinking upon things that are right, thinking upon things that are holy, thinking upon things that are true. And so, uh, the, the person who's not righteous, they're going to, to give information that is not true. It's not helpful that ends up pro- promoting harm rather than, uh, help. So. I guess you could even say that the righteous person looks after the good of others, not just him or herself. And going back to the illustration I gave, I don't know that you could say that person. I don't know anything about that person, but that person wasn't acting righteously because it seemed like uh, the person was really trying to infect everybody with the, the disease that that he had. So anyhow, that's just another one example. So the righteous person promotes truth in, in Proverbs thirteen five.
1: Yeah, it says, the righteous hates falsehood, but the wicked bring shame and disgrace. And then 13.6 says the righteous, righteousness guards him whose way is blameless, but sin overthrows the wicked. Oh, wow, there's just so much truth in that. Yeah. Uh, so the sin. You can see it play out day to day in everything we do.
0: And that's why I love the book of Proverbs. I mean, right now I'm going through a Bible study on Wednesday nights in Proverbs. Right now we haven't got into the meat and potatoes of it because we're going through some of the early chapters that it talks about the importance of wisdom and the importance of pursuing wisdom. Uh, but when you get to the practical aspects of, uh, of what wisdom's all about, what, uh, what these things, what, what the just person or justness and righteousness promote as you said you can see this playing out in everyday life you know the difference between someone who really cares about the well-being of others as opposed to someone who doesn't the person who is really promoting the what's true and honest and good as opposed to the person who's just promoting and propagating a bunch of lies uh we we can see this in in our culture So we also see that uh, the righteous person is slow to answer. Curtis, I'm going to ask you, if you will, pull up uh, Proverbs 21, verses 25 and 26. And I'm going to uh, look at Proverbs 15, 28. It says, um, the mind of the righteous person thinks before answering, but the mouth of the wicked blurts out, Every evil thing. Now, let's just stop and think, consider this. How many of you know people who just cannot keep their mouths shut? <laughs> <laughs> now, if they think it, they're going to say it, well, even if it's not true, even if it's not promoting anything good, if it's promoting, maybe promoting something harmful. But look what righteousness does. The mind of a righteous person thinks before answering. That means that they stop and pause. And consider what they're going to say. The ramifications of what they're going to say. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. I haven't uh, always abided by this in, this uh, not this knowledge or this uh, this wisdom. And, and many times, I haven't been very wise when I've given responses because I blurted out responses before really thinking about them. Uh, Curtis, I see you laughing and smiling. So.
1: <laughs> yeah, I step on my tongue all the time.
0: You know, I, I thought I was half Irish, <laughs> but I was uh, went through this ancestry thing and found out that uh, I'm only 1% Irish. I actually have a lot more German and Dutch ancestry than I do anything else. So
1: we may be related, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, it's the Dutch, I'm telling you. It's, it's, yeah. So you wanted 21... Versus what? A, yeah, 21 verses 25 and
0: 26. We're going to Proverbs. see also, uh, correlating with what we said a while ago about slow yeah. to answer, that the righteous person is self-controlled. Uh, so we see this in
1: Proverbs 21 verses 25 and 26. Yeah, it says in 25, it says, the, and this is off the ESV, it says, The desire of the sluggard kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. <laughs> All day long, craves and craves, but the righteous give, gives and does not hold back. So the righteous person
0: gives, the righteous person works. Uh, for works hard and, and the, uh, the foolish person. I mean, throughout the book of Proverbs, you see wisdom contrasted with foolishness. And so here you see the righteous person, uh, self-controlled, working hard for the rights, uh, for, for their, for uh, oneself and the family. And so we see that they also stand for the rights of the oppressed. Uh, and this is, uh, 29 verse seven says the righteous person knows the rights of the poor, but the wicked one does not understand these concerns. In other words, I think you can say here that the righteous person again is concerned about the needs of other people. There, that the righteous person is concerned about those who may be used and abused and wants to help them out. Whereas the unrighteous person is really only concerned about oneself and really could give a hoot about, uh, what someone else is going through so um let's take a look at one more proverbs twenty nine twenty seven, and i've got I've, i'll have one i'm going to look at in matthew uh 25 so we see the righteous person stands for justice this kind of go along with this kind of goes along with uh what we just read at 29 7 but twenty nine
1: twenty seven 27 uh, is where we'll be at next and it's 27 says 29:27 uh, says an unjust man is an abomination to the righteous but one mm-hmm. whose way is straight is an abomination to the wicked so
0: so there again you see talking about walking the straight path as, mm-hmm. as uh compared or contrasted with walking a crooked path and the one walking a straight path one standing for justice standing for what's right uh that's the wise person. Mm-hmm. And we also see that uh, the righteous person is one who lives for God. And we see this in Jesus's teaching in Matthew 25, verses 31 through 40. It says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all of his angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. Just as a se- shepherd separates the sheep from the goats, he will mm-hmm. put the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, come, you who are blessed by my father and here the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. So the righteous person understands that by um Doing kind things, just things, good things for other others, uh, he or she is essentially doing that for God. It's not just about that horizontal relationship; it's tied in with the vertical relationship. Your vertical relationship with God impacts the horizontal relationships you have with other people and and the culture in general.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you see that played out those those that uh, um, spend more time reading and in prayer and, and 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 working around those things they they naturally have a desire uh to bring brotherhood in to bring people in Absolutely. it's you see that naturally play out. So how does the old testament describe righteousness? So
0: the old testament seems to really focus on righteousness as being uh, it, a lot of times it, it contrasts someone who is righteous from someone who is not. So we've got a few scriptures here we'll look at. Uh, but but first of all, I'd say the, the Hebrew t- term tzaddik, uh and its derivatives con- connotate conformity to a norm, conformity to the ways of God, conformity to the just nature of the way we should live. So the righteousness of Tamar and Judah were contrasted in Genesis 38, 26 as Tamar was shown to be more righteous. So let's um let's flip over to Genesis 38 and I'll take a look at this. Uh Curtis, if you'll go to 1 Samuel 24, 17 and uh hover there, but let's take a look first at uh Genesis 38 26. Uh Genesis thir- tw- 38 26. Let's see if the my page will cooperate with me here. Um, it says this, as Judah recognized him and says, she is more in the right than I, since I did not give her to marry my son, Sheila, and he did not know her intimately again. And so here, I think if I'm not mistaken, it's talking about uh, a situation that happened uh, here with Tamar. And uh, but anyhow, I, I don't know. Um, let's see. Tamar was a Canaanite, but she acted more righteously and shrewdly, than her Hebrew in-laws and so um anyhow what we see here is that the the actions of Tamar was more righteous than the actions of Judah and uh, the relatives so even though Tamar was a Canaanite she was deemed righteous whereas Judah and the Hebrew brothers were not so it had it had a lot to do with the react the actions and the reactions of these individuals in this particular story, I didn't get a chance to really look deeply into this chapter, but uh what we do find is that Tamar was shown to be righteous, and Judah was not. But there's another situation that happens in first samuel twenty four seventeen where David was shown to be more righteous than Saul. Let's take a look at first samuel twenty four
1: seventeen Mhm- and Um, I'm going to back up just one verse it says as soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul Saul said is this your voice my son David And Saul lifted up his head lifted up his voice and wept He said to David you are more righteous than I for I have repaid me Or for you have repaid me good whereas as I have repaid you with evil Hmm
0: so we see that David was shown to be more righteous than Saul in that particular issue. Abraham understood that God was the judge overall and would judge according to righteousness. In Genesis, uh, Genesis 18, 25, he says, you could not possibly, and he's pleading with God for for Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, and so we see he, you could not possibly do such a thing to kill the righteous with the wicked, treating the righteous and the wicked alike. You could not possibly do that. Won't the judge of the whole earth do what is just? And so here he recognizes and understands that God was going to judge uh the world. Now, this is also noted, uh, Curtis, if you could turn to Psalm 9, 4, chapter 9, verse 4. It's also understood there all, as well as Jeremiah, uh, chapter 11, verse 20. Uh, so if I'll turn to Jeremiah eleven twenty, if you'll read
1: uh, Psalm 9, 4. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Psalm nine four, um, it says, "For you have maintained my ca- my just cause. You have sat on the throne, given righteousness or righteous judgment." So let me read that again, just so I can clear that up. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne, giving righteous judgment.
0: So we see there that, uh, the God is, is one who is going to judge, who, who's able to see into the heart, peer into the heart. And the same thing is, is here in Jeremiah, uh, chapter 11, verse, mm-hmm. verse, uh, 20 it says, but the Lord of armies who judges righteously, who tests the heart and mind, who tests hearts and mind. Um, Let me see your vengeance on them, for I presented my case to you, uh, Jeremiah says. But, he, but what he's looking at here essentially is the fact that God can see into the heart and lives of individuals and is able to judge according to heart and mind, not to external appearances, but more in the inner man. Now, let's also take a look at uh, Deuteronomy. I'll go ahead and read this, Deuteronomy 25.1. Uh, Deuteronomy 25, 1, we see the aspect of righteousness is often gauged by judicial and forensic concepts. And so, uh, here we see, it says, if there is a dispute between them, they are to go to court and the judges will hear the case. They will clear the innocent and condemn the guilty. So, righteousness was gauged in the courtroom to see what was right, what was wrong, to redeem uh, those who are righteous and to condemn or judge those things that are evil. So uh this aspect of righteousness, again, holds judicial um terminology within the Old Testament. So by and large, this is how the Old Testament deals with the aspect of righteousness. Let's not forget the fact that Abraham had faith and was, it was accredited to him as righteousness. Uh, the book of Habakkuk uh, tells us that the just shall live by faith. And so there again is another aspect of righteousness uh, coming through the faith and trust that we
1: have in God. Hmm. Yeah. So how does the New Testament advance the description of justification then? Okay. So, um,
0: T. What, Curtis, I got one here for you. Romans four, five. Uh, the New Testament writers understand that it is impossible for human beings to earn justification by their works alone. In other words, when we look at the law, as Curtis mentioned previously, the law serves as a mirror showing us who we are, showing us that it's, we are incapable of fulfilling the law of God by our own works alone. And so that's why we need an advocate. That's why we need a mediator, And the, the New Testament tells us. So Paul noted that God justifies the ungodly. Let's take a look at Romans 4, 5.
1: Yeah, so four or five here and i'm going to start back up in four it says now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift but as his due and to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly his faith is counted as righteousness his faith
0: is counted as righteousness his faith and trust in god is counted to him as righteousness now, by justifying the unrighteous, God demonstrates his righteousness to the world, and we see this in Romans three twenty-six, where it says, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. Now, we also find Paul goes on to say in Romans 5, 6 through 11. I've already got this pulled up here. While we were yet helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, while we were at our worst moments, while we've done horrible things in life, Christ died for us. How much more then, since we have now been justified by his blood, will we be saved through him from wrath? For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received this reconciliation. This reconciliation, the New Testament teaches us, came from the willing sacrifice that Christ made for us on our behalf so that we could become the righteousness of God through his sacrifice. What that means is Christ paid the penalty for our sin, making us justified, making us righteous before God, Simply by placing our faith and trust in him that that covenant that sacrificial payment is is paid over unto our debt and paid, pays our debt off uh,
1: because of what Christ did for us on the cross hmm. so what four factors demonstrate that justification justification is forensic? <laughs> So by forensic here, again, we're saying that the declaration
0: of righteousness or justification is a legal pronouncement by God. So in other words, righteousness is not like a vaccine that's injected in us that physically works within a person's life. Spiritually, it's true that the Holy Spirit unites with our mind, soul and body. However, that doesn't mean that anything necessarily changes physically within a person. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rather, justification is more a legal pronouncement by God then uh then uh, that a person is made right in his eyes and so we see four reasons for this number one the concept of righteousness holds a formal standing with the law and covenants of God as seen in the old testament secondly justification is contrasted and juxtaposed with the idea of condemnation in Romans 8:33 and 34 throughout the book of Deuteronomy as well and we see in the teachings of Jesus this is the case as in Matthew 12:37 um, and And other passages of scripture, numerous passages indicate that the Greek term decayo uh meaning to defend vindicate, or proven to be right uh shows that justification is forensic. people recognize that god's way was right in luke seven twenty nine and then lastly, the linguistic nature of Dekaio, uh the term meaning righteousness uh or or um excuse me justified uh, indicates that a per that something is made righteous. Some variations of the term holds that uh, a person is declared to be worthy. In essence, kaios or to justify means that someone is declared just in this sense. So this gives us an idea and understanding that this is a legal term used for us, that when you receive Christ as your Savior, you are indeed made right in the eyes of God.
1: <laughs> Amen. Yeah, yeah it's uh so in the justification part of it uh, it'd be like as if you were um, facing trial for for a speeding ticket not to make jesus's claim or or, or what he did on the cross uh, diminish it by by comparing it to a speeding ticket but for example you were there for a speeding ticket and somebody else stepped in and said i will take care of that i will pay that you are still declared free and justified while they had to actually make the sacrifice to pay for that yeah, absolutely. So, uh, what objections are offered against forensic justification then? So, William Sanday and Arthur uh, Headlam
0: argue that it would be deceptive for God to pretend as if no sin had been committed by a person by simply justifying them. In their opinion, God must pretend as if the person had not sinned. But, the, but the issue is that justification does not simply imply that there is no penalty for sin. Right. Uh That is never what the Bible implies. Uh, there is sin committed, but what it does show is that Christ paid the penalty right. for our sin on the cross. Um, could God have just simply said, I'm going to forgive you and no atonement necessary? Well, he could have, but that sin in that case, in that case, he would have just simply ignored what happened and pretended that it never took place. And in that case, I think the objection would stand. But but here you have a payment that's been made through Christ. And so I don't see how that objection stands whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Uh, others have argued that uh, righteousness cannot be transferred from one person to another. But here again, when we talk about the union of Christ, we were talking about that in one episode we see that there's a unity that occurs between Christ and the believer. Uh, then it can be understood how the righteousness of Christ merges into the believer's life. And so um Erickson, Millard Erickson makes the point to say that justification is a three-party, not a two-party matter. Mm. It was voluntary on God to establish the means by which we're saved. It was voluntary by Christ who willingly, not forced, but willingly went to the cross to pay for our sin. And then, we also voluntarily uh, receive Christ as our Savior uh, when the Spirit convicts us. So the Scripture says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So here again, uh, these objections just simply don't stand.
1: Hmm. That last point, I was just kind of pointing out, just kind of picking up there that what you're saying is there might have been a little free will there a lot of free will. <laughs> well, and here again we want to make the point to say that uh
0: the free will mentioned here on our part would be the responsiveness to mm-hmm. the the invitation of the holy spirit. That doesn't mean that we chose the spirit or we chose Christ. Right. He chose us, but still, you know, he's the one knocking on our heart's door. We're the one who who simply says yes or no
1: to his invitation. Mm-hmm. Yep. So what role does human acts have with our faith?
0: So one of the major questions regarding justification relates to regeneration and repentance. The question is whether a person repents and is then regenerated or whether a person is first regenerated before repentance occurs. Here again is where we find a difference between the Calvinist and non-Calvinist uh, perspectives. Calvinists, like Wayne Grudem, argue that regeneration occurs before a person can respond to Christ. So, in other words, Christ already has redeemed that person or regenerated that person, and then that way the person can freely respond to Christ's invitation. Grudem writes that regeneration made it possible for us to respond to that invitation. In conversion, we did respond, trusting in Christ for forgiveness of sins. Thus, in the Calvinist belief, God regenerates the elect so that the person can respond to the gospel call. And he uses Romans 6, 26 as a proof text, which reads, God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. But the problem is, is that this text does the exact opposite of what Grudem says, because notice it says, that he would be just and justify the one who has faith in Jesus. The condition for that regeneration is first comes by the one who has faith in Jesus. So it actually does exactly the opposite of what Grudem suggests. So what we find here, you know, as as we're presenting the non-Calvinist perspective, faith comes first. Uh, faith being the, the responsiveness we have to the gospel call. And when we receive Christ, we are regenerated at that moment in time and, uh, and, and made new. So it's not that you're regenerated and then receive. It's that rather that you receive and then are regenerated because of the reception of the Holy Spirit in your life. Mm-hmm. So here again is where we have these little diff distinctions where um that separate the Calvinist view from the non-Calvinist.
1: Hmm. Oof. So let's just go to the <laughs> the final question here. Curtis, uh, sure I know you want to say something. I can see yeah so your eyes. <laughs> what is what is God's response to righteousness then? So what is God's response to righteousness? We're going to take
0: a look at five things and I'll go ahead and flip to the first one. And Curtis, I think I, I gave you a list there, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so the first one is God loves the righteous. Uh, and we're going to take a look at Psalm 146, verse 8. Let me get over there to it. Psalm one verse, 146, verse 8. It says, the Lord, let me go back a, a little bit. Happy is the one, and we'll go back to verse 5. Happy is the one whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God the maker of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. He remains faithful forever, executing justice for the exploited, giving food to the hungry. The Lord frees the prisoners. The Lord opens the eyes of the blind. The Lord raises up those who are oppressed. The Lord loves the righteous. Um, the Lord protects resident aliens and helps the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the ways of the wicked. So here again, we see the love of God is is poured out upon the righteous, and in 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 this case, for those who are in Christ, now I believe God loves everyone. Let me just go ahead and say that from the outset, but there's a special love that He has for His His people, and it's that relational love that we see between God and the people. But we also see that God protects the righteous in Proverbs 18:10. So let's take a look at Proverbs 18:10. Yeah,
1: it says, "The name of the Lord is a strong tower." The righteous man runs into it and is safe.
0: So, yeah. So, so God's love, God's ways. I mean, he, he is, he is our strong tower. He He Cut. is our safety from the storm. And so, um, we can, we can trust him. I mean, even despite the storms that my wife and I have been going through this past week, yeah. we know that God was right there with us, um, we know there's a purpose behind this. We don't understand that necessarily what that purpose might be right now,
1: mm-hmm.
0: but we know that there's a purpose behind this. There's a purpose for why she couldn't have the surgery today and, and why it was put off. We don't know what that answer is, and mm-hmm. we may not know until we get into eternity, but uh there's a purpose for it, and we're just trusting in the Lord's protective power uh, into it. So mm-hmm. we also see God provides for the righteous in Proverbs 10, verse 3. Um, Let me flip over a page. The Lord will not let the righteous go hungry, but he denies the wicked what they crave. So here again, you can kind of see a a parallel to to, uh, the Beatitudes where where, uh, Jesus talks about the provision of God. And so God provides for the righteous. But we
1: also see he blesses the righteous in Psalm 5, verse 12. Yeah, so it says... For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Mm. Powerful.
0: So God favors, God blesses the righteous. And and man alive, there's nothing like having the favor of God in one's life. We also see see that God hears the petitions of the righteous in 1 Peter 3.12. Peter writes because the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do what is evil. Now that's not to say that the Lord won't necessarily hear, um, you know, a, a person's plea for help. Right. Uh, if a person is not in right standing, but there's something special about the prayers of a righteous person. The prayers yeah. of the, who is right with God. And there's a relational aspect to that prayer. That's not found with one who is outside the covenant, one who doesn't have that personal relationship with God. Right. So, uh, having that prayer time, having that uh, aspect of of um, that relational prayer is very, very important. Mm-hmm.
1: I've likened it to you know uh, a, a kids' event or a kids' birthday party or what have you, and kids are running around and and you and you hear. Um, someone yell mom or someone yell dad and your ear is not tuned to it even though they're crying out you, you still pay attention you still look around and you're still thinking but your ear is specifically tuned to your child you hear them automatically boom the moment you know that kid's voice you know that child's voice and and your heart automatically turns to that so much quicker and so much better it's yeah i know it's it it it's it's it, it's a so so vastly minute compared to God what god hears and but it's it's just a simple physical demonstration of of you know how a parent is,
0: and I think you're absolutely right, and I think that's a wonderful illustration because you're right because I know well, it's like today I picked my son up from school, and uh you know there were a lot of kids there. A lot of middle schoolers there in the, in the middle school that day, uh, coming out. And, but there was, I could just, as soon as he came around the corner, I could detect who it was. I could hear his voice (laughs) and knew it was him. It was my son coming. So Mm -hmm. there is something special about that relational, uh, aspect to our relationship with God, that, that our prayer life with God, that is because, uh, you know, I'm sure you've been around people that it just seems like when they pray, it seems like they've got an express way to the ears of God. <laughs> and when they pray things get done. And yep. uh, those're the type of people you want praying for you when something goes right. wrong.
1: Right. Or at least they have the boldness to to get to the throne room, you know, like yeah. that it, it, for that for that wording. They they have the boldness to step into that to to speak boldly to God about that and and uh um yeah, it it is uh, there are many times when you hear uh, people pray. I mean, we had a gal a long time ago at the church. She's passed away now, but you know that when she prayed, she had like the hotline or the red the red wire going directly to God's you know, God's chair. And I mean, she just prayed. It was just so beautiful to hear her pray and hear, hear her. I mean, she was just so. Confident what God was going to do and um, approached it totally different than somebody um, that may have been, a, you know, a new believer or whatever. I mean, this is a gal that had miles, uh, miles with God, yeah. walking with God, you know.
0: Amazing. And that's so true. I mean, you just you come across people who just impact you because there's just that spiritual presence in their lives. And, and a lot of times the people who have gone through the most have the greatest trust in the Lord. And and a lot of times it's people like that who have that hotline to God, Uh, because like you said, she had gone miles with God. She had been through, I'm sure a lot of stuff. I don't know what she'd gone through, but I'm sure he, she went through a lot of stuff. And so that trust, that relational aspect is, uh is
1: so important in our prayer lives. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Well, there it is, folks. We here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us. And we value that time. Our prayers at this podcast help stretch your mind and has become a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and become a reliable source of information. Join us next time on the Bellator Christie podcast. Until next time, Brian and I say. Soldier on, friends. You've been
0: listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast with Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo. This podcast is an exclusive production of Bellator Christie Ministries and is protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The views expressed on this podcast may not reflect the opinions of Bellator Christie Ministries and its affiliates. We thank you for listening and hope you'll consider leaving a positive review. To see more from Bellator Christie Ministries, go to bellatorchristie.com.